Hey folks, Richard Tubb here with another episode of Tub Talk. Now, in episode 19 of Tub Talk, I spoke with Michael George, the CEO of Continuum, an outsource knock provider. Um, there was a lot of interest from listeners in that episode and the topic of what Continuum and other providers do for managed service providers. So it's it's well documented. I'm a massive fan of outsourcing, especially of your knock. Um, more accurately, I'm an evangelist of partnering with external suppliers, master MSPs, you might call them, like Continuum. So recently, when I spotted some research by a very well-respected benchmarking provider uh, by the name of Service Leadership on why Continuum partners are growing faster than other MSPs, well, you could say I was intrigued. There was two figures that jumped out at me specifically. One, uh, Continuum partners achieve a gross margins on managed services that are eight percentage points higher than similar MSPs. And secondly, Continuum partners realize adjusted EBITDA percentage that is seven percentage points higher than their peers. So when you see those type of figures, you sit up and pay attention. I certainly did. So I reached out to Bob Kosis of Continuum, who himself was a guest on episode 20 of uh, this podcast. And Bob connected me with service leadership directly so we could talk more about this research. Which leads us to today's conversation. And I'm joined by Paul Dipple, the founder and CEO of Service Leadership. How are you doing there, Paul? I'm doing well, Richard. Thanks for having me. How are you? Really good. I know you're there in Dallas, Texas. I'm at home in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the UK, and it's the summer here, the two days of summer we have, and we've got dallas light weather at the moment. It's about 30 degrees Celsius. How is it over there in Dallas? Yeah, fantastically hot. If it's, if it's not 100 days over 100, it's not somewhere in Dallas. So thank God for air conditioning. <laughs> I, I join you on that one. Now, I want to jump into this um, uh, report that we've uh, that Service Leadership put, put, put together. But for anybody not familiar with Service Leadership, could you give a quick overview of who you are and what you do? Sure, thanks. Uh, well, we started out as operators. The first solution provider company we built, we built to about $130 million and sold it to one of the phone companies here. The second one we built uh, to about $2 billion and, and took it public. The third one was a $400 million turnaround that we sold to Xerox. And then the last one ended up being the largest SMB managed service uh, company in the U.S., uh, so a fair bit of operating experience. And then, you know, for Chapter 2, we decided to um, give back to the community and, and share back as best we could what we've learned about running these businesses as well. So service leadership basically does a couple of things. Um, we do a fair bit of management consulting one-on-one -on -one with solution providers across all the business models, um, including MSPs and helping people get to the MSP business model. Um, and then we're the largest scale uh, financial and operational benchmarker of solution providers on the planet. Uh, basically by an order of magnitude. So we're fortunate to have solution providers, MSPs, CSPs, bars, et cetera, uh, subscribing all around the world. About 10% uh, of them uh, are from the UK. Um, each quarter they put in their uh, income statement in, in a particular format we request, as well as their balance sheet in their org chart. And each quarter we send them back a private 85 metric report that compares their performance against the top quartile in their business model. So that's where all of this data comes from. We have a lot of operational experience, and then I think we probably have about the best empirical data you can get. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and that's what we do. So we're a little tiny firm, 
12 people, uh, don't want to grow it anymore. Uh, we don't work in any other industry, Richard. We're completely useless outside of the IT solution provider world. Uh, we have opinions, but they're useless. But in this space, we, we, um, well, we think we know a little bit. I would say so. Um, I, my own MSP, uh, we actually used to subscribe to the Service Leadership Index report and submit our figures. We got great value from that. And actually, Paul, you you helped value my business, uh, my MSP business for acquisition many, many years ago. So help, help, thank you very much for doing that. appreciate it. Yes. And you're on to your chapter too. So good for you. Thank exactly. you. Yeah. So we've, we've already established um, that uh, you're uh, pretty much independent in the, uh, in the industry like myself. You stay vendor neutral. But Continuum have sponsored this benchmark report, and we'll get onto that in a minute. But I'm intrigued. How did you ensure that you remained impartial and neutral when it came to this particular piece of <laughs> Continuum? Yeah. 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 This one's raised some eyebrows. So you know, over the years, uh, as you probably experienced as well, um, uh, over the years, uh, different people at different, you know, of the major vendors will come to us and say, you have all the data, Paul, you know, pro prove that our partners help, help us prove that our partners are more profitable than our competitors' partners and variations on that theme. And we have, for obvious reasons, resolutely uh, declined to do that. Um, interestingly, the a reason we do that is obviously reputation and credibility, but another reason is that choice of vendors, uh, generally speaking, doesn't make a bit of difference in the financial performance of the solution provider. Uh, that doesn't mean that a solution provider won't, uh, you know, beat the heck out of a vendor for a better price. But uh, the fact of the matter is, if you look at all the different influences on solution provider profitability. Things like where they are and what vendor they pick and what customer segment they pick, those things have very, very little influence as compared to what we call operational maturity level of the management team of the solution provider. So one reason we've always turned down the um, occasional request from vendors to prove that somehow their partners do better than others um, is uh, a it's just the right thing to do from a credibility and honorability standpoint but secondly um it's you'll end up finding there's a random walk there there is no difference by vendor um, what happened in this case was a little bit different um we continuum did not ask us to produce this particular analysis they hired us to do a different analysis which we did and that was hey paul amongst the uh, continuum partners those who are those who are continuum partners and who are in the top quartile of profitability, how do they use continuum differently than the partners that are at low growth and profitability? So it wasn't meant to compare continuum partners to non-continuum partners. It was meant to compare high-performing continuum partners to low-performing continuum partners because quite wisely what continuum wanted to do was understand how the partners who had the best growth and profitability in their partner base were using Continuum as opposed to the Continuum partners who were at lower performance. Smart question. And we did that analysis. The way we stumbled onto the current analysis that we're talking to is actually a little bit embarrassing. Um, obviously, uh, I am deeply ingrained in this industry. And I am obsessed with finding out what works and what doesn't work because I fundamentally believe that solution provider owners um, 
need to do better. They need to get better reward for the risk and the work that they put in. And there's a, you know, there's a big difference. Top quartile EBITDA percentages for MSPs is 18%, and median is 8%. And the bottom quartile lose money. So there's a lot at stake here for what, as you well know, most solution provider owners, their business is their primary asset in life, right? It's the yeah. thing they're going to sell and ultimately, you know. So this is a big deal, and we're obsessed with it. And so one weekend, as I was doing the other analysis that Continuum actually hired us to do, I was goofing around with the data, and I realized that there was a different situation with a master MSP than with another vendor, a Cisco, an HPE, a Fortinet, you know, what have you. Um, those choices, choices between hardware Vendors, choices between software vendors, as I mentioned, have very, very little effect on the profitability and growth of the solution provider. But in this case, as you know, Master MSP says, hey, solution provider, you don't need a whole bunch of technical people. Um, we have them. And you don't need a whole bunch of um, process policies and procedures because that's our job is to serve you on a service level basis. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff that a solution provider, an MSP, doesn't have to invest in and doesn't have to manage on the cost side of their business if they go with a master MSP. And that's fundamentally different from a hardware vendor or a software vendor, something they're reselling. We're talking about real foundational changes, and I know you know this, in the way the MSP works. And so I was sitting there working with the data for the other purpose and I went, huh, I wonder if there's some detectable difference in gross margin and profitability between those who use a master MSP and those who don't, because we have that data, right? Uh, because of all the folks that we benchmark. <clears throat> Excuse me, so I separated them into uh, uh, I separated them into everybody that we knew worked with Continuum, which Continuum gave us a list of who they work with under confidentiality, of course, and, uh, and everybody that didn't work with Continuum. So here's the, here's the common wisdom and where the common wisdom is wrong. The common wisdom says, hey, I don't want to use a master MSP because um, uh, I will get more gross margin if I do this business, if I build my own knock and my own service desk. And it seems entirely logical. I mean, yeah. let's just say, Richard, for the moment that there's 60% gross margin between whatever the cost is to be an MSP and what you could reasonably get if you're good at value-based selling in the marketplace. Let's just say there's 60% gross margin. Best in class is actually about 53%, but let's just say 60%. If I use a master, that's if I do it myself. If I use a master MSP, logic says that I'm going to have to split the margin with the master MSP because they're not in this for free. They're not going to charge me their cost. So let's just off the top of our head say, the master managed service provider has to make 30% margin. I got to make 30% margin because my SG&A is probably close to 30%, uh, maybe 25, what have you. So, you know, logic says if they got to be profitable and I got to be profitable, we're going to split the margin and 
therefore, my gross margin will be lower than if I do my own managed services. That's sort of the that's sort of the foundational objection that solution provider owners and executives often have about a master MSP. I know I'm going on here, but I'm, I'm getting to getting to a point. Um, so that was the assumption I was testing, and it was really just my curiosity and my drive to find out what really works. And I can tell you, I was astonished at the results. I, I remain astonished at the results. I'm going to tell you what, in a few minutes, I'll tell you what we're going to do about that astonishment. But what we found is what is published on the Continuum website, which is that they, the folks that use in the data set that we examined, at the time we examined it, I'll underscore that, uh, the Continuum folks had higher gross margin on their services business uh, and overall uh, than did the people that didn't use Continuum. Mm. They also had faster growth. And because they had higher margins, they had a better bottom line, even though they actually spent more uh, on sales, which I'll get to in a minute. So what the heck is going on? I mean, it really stopped me in my tracks. Um, what's going on? I think there's a couple of things going on. One of them is um, it's hard to run an MSP business, as you know. Definitely. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great business model once it's set up and once it's running at maturity level on our scale of one to five operation maturity level, you know, 3.4, 3.5, 3.6, it starts to get pretty good. And by 4.0, it sings right along. But it is not an easy business to set up. And the average MSP is running about an OML 3.4. There's still a lot of guys running OML 2.9. 3.0, 3.1, So it's a really hard business to set up and run. Done right, it's a thing of beauty, and it is the highest value, most stable solution provider business model, but it's hard to set up. In addition, let's say you have 10 technical guys. Let's say you're doing your own, your own service desk and knock. You're not using a master MSP. You have 10 technical guys. If you are at 50% gross margin, which you should be, and you're spending 30% on SG&A, sales general administrative, you're putting 20% the bottom line, which is basically best in class. Fantastic. If you add, if, if your business is growing and you go, heck, I'm about to close this contract and I need another guy. My people are flat out, right? So you add an 11th person. So that will hammer your gross margin down to about you know, 35% on the service side, which if you're spending 30% on SG&A, takes your profit from 20% to 5%, which is flying pretty close to the map of the earth, unfortunately. So you, you hire that person in order to take that one contract, but that one contract is typically not big enough to add enough revenue to fully offset the cost of that person, right? Mm-hmm. So for some period of time, your margin is down. And if you look at the average rate that a SMB managed service company adds customers today, um, which is um, unfortunately fairly slow, and we're working on that, um, you, then, you, you then realize that it's six, eight, 10 months before they add enough contracts to offset the cost of that 11th person and get themselves back to, to 50% margin. So you are now 
you have now torched the year, right? You basically torched the profitability for the year because you added that one guy. And if you're 20 technical people and you add one guy, it's still a very noticeable effect. And so I think part of it is simply that the master managed service providers allow you to dial up capacity incrementally, contract by contract, without taking that risk. Mm, that makes and then sense. if you look at everything, yeah, yeah, I know I'm going on here. No, it's okay. Um, if you look at everything, <laughs> dear, dear. Um, if you look at everything that goes into managing a team of 10 or 15 or 20 technical people or 40 or 100 or 500 technical people, there's just a lot of ways to leak productive utilization. And the higher you get in operational maturity, the more effectively you plug those leaks and the more effectively you get higher revenue for what you're doing. But think of all the effort that goes into that. Yeah. And if you, if you think, okay, well, um, let, let me put it this way. We, have, we, we identify or um, encourage MSPs to work on 39 different op operational maturity level traits, we call them, to be good at being an MSP. There are 39 OML traits um, that go into being a good MSP. A master managed service provider, Richard, takes 13 of those right off the table. So, you know, sure, it leaves 26, 26 that I have to master to be a good MSP, but shoot, 13 of them off the table. Yeah. And many of those are related to keeping people, technical people, productive. So I now don't have all those productivity leaks or most of those productivity leaks if I use a master MSP. And, and, and I is, can turn my attention to other things. Yeah. Forgive me for jumping in, Paul, because this is absolute music yeah, to no, me. I, I've been, you know, sort of banging the drum about outsourcing uh, and about uh, outsourcing mm -hmm. knock and the master MSP model for, for years and years and years. I used to do it within my own MSP. I know this stuff works, but it was always a gut feeling. So this is now yeah. the metrics that actually prove it. But we'll, we'll just pause there for a second because we've, we've mentioned a few acronyms, mm. specifically um, operation maturity levels. Just very briefly, can you mm. explain, I'm aware of what it is from the Service Leadership Index report, um, but for anybody who's new to SLI reports, what would you say operation maturity levels are? Yeah, thank you very much. And I'll, uh, it's almost impossible for me to be brief. I think you figured that out already. This is I'll good. Try. No, please, um, carry on. When, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so uh, when we build our first um, solution provider company, I mentioned 130 million. We had nine locations, which means we had nine general managers, nine sales managers, nine service managers. Second company, we had 44 of each of those. We had 44 locations. The third one, we had 14 locations and 14 teams like that. And the, and the last one, we had 18 locations. So if you're running a multi-location operation, Richard, and you reach your corporate profit goals that the board has set by having a third of your branches underperforming, a third of them at plan and a third of them above plan, even if you meet your profit goals, you probably won't get a bonus. You may get fired. And the reason is that random distribution of success means that any given location success is solely based on the management skill, what we call today operational maturity level, the management skill of that local team. And you have no systematic or programmatic way to help those teams be successful. It's basically up to them.
So you lose your job. So we got very good at assessing the management skill, the management methods, the management methods used by the general manager, sales manager, service manager, each of these locations. We got very good at systematically diagnosing where they're strong, where they're weak. Specifically, where, what things that they do are like, do they do the way the top performers do them and what things do they do in ways more like the way the bottom performers do them. Okay, well, if, if I can tell across sales, service, finance, strategy, and compensation, which things that you do are most like the way the top performers do them and which things that you do are most like the way the bottom performers do them, then I can easily hone in on things that need improvement and I can help you do those more like the top performers. So that objective assessment of management methods um, is what we uh, continue to build on when we built Service Leadership, my current company, and that we bring to solution providers worldwide today. Mm. So, yeah. So we have two pieces. We have the Service Leadership Index, which is the financial benchmark, and that answers the question, how am I doing? And then we have the operational maturity level tool, which answers the question, okay, how do I do better? And it asks you how you do these 39 different things in great detail. And then it shows you where you are doing those things like the top performers. And it shows you where you're doing those things like, like the, the way the median performers do and the way the bottom performers do. And then it hands you the specific best practices to get better. Mm. So that's where that whole OML thing came from. One, one, two, three, four, five. That makes um, a lot of sense. And and we should, we should say yeah. the OML levels there they're not. Um, it's not one and uh, one, two, three, four, five. You know, it can be one point one. It can be two point three. There's, yeah. there's increments in there, isn't there? So so let me ask you this. Yeah. We we've already pointed out that. Uh, the report highlighted that um, uh, working, continue, working with Continuum, Continuum Partners, it takes a lot of those, dare I say them call them tick boxes, or that maturity required mm -hmm. away from the mm -hmm. MSP needing to do it and because Continuum mm -hmm. are really good at what they do. What, what would you say are the biggest differences you spot between MSPs with an OML in the uh, operational maturity level in the region of one and those who are you know, right up there have got everything nailed down in the five. What's the biggest differences you spot between those companies? Mm, yeah, great question. So the labels, the labels we give, I know you relate to this because everybody that's built a business relates to this. <laughs> um, the levels are one, two, three, four, five. The labels we gave them, one, we call emerging. Two, we call, uh, sorry, sorry. One, we call, you'd think I'd know this. Um, one, we call beginning, two, emerging, three, scaling, four, optimizing, five, innovating. So I mentioned two, we call OML, two, we call emerging. We used to call it the pit of despair. Mm -hmm. And uh, that always got a laugh out of the, uh, you know, audiences full of solution provider owners because everybody has been in the pit of despair and, and a lot, a lot uh, are still um, and fighting the, you know, fighting the good fight. So, um, I was about to give a presentation to well, about 900 partners for a major networking vendor. And the, the gentleman that hired me said, you can't, you can't say pit of despair. That's insulting. And I said, no, it'll get a great <laughs> laugh. And he said, no, no, you can't use that. And I said, well, what do you want me to use? He said, use emerging. So, LML2 okay. is now emerging. 
that's a, anyway, that's a much politer um, way of putting it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So the characteristic of OML one and two is OML uh, one is you don't know what you don't know, and we've all been there, right? Hey, I, I can I can build my time. Great, I'll start a solution buyer company. Um, OML two is where you're finding out how much you don't know. OML three at this point you're the metaphor I use a lot, um, Richard, is bicycles. So at OML one and two, you you know, pedal motion doesn't necessarily translate into forward motion. The the handlebars flip to the left or right. You fall, you spin your knee, you bump your chin, and you go, man, that's no fun. And so it's very hard to make progress and not get hurt at OML one and two. Mm-hmm. By the time you get to OML three, you can stay on the bike as long as the terrain is relatively even and you're kind of shaky and you're not necessarily always going perfectly forward, but at least you're not falling down going boom and hurting yourself very often. And those guys, you know, the all know ones and twos are typically the ones that are struggling to grow at all. Um, and they're typically either losing money or breaking even. The threes are typically growing somewhat and are at median profitability, call it 8%. And uh, by the time you get to about 3.8 or 3.9, you've, you've hemmed in a whole bunch of things, 39 of them to be specific, um, that are now, they're not only not dragging you the wrong direction, but they're actively working together to produce increasing efficiency and so on. Mm. So I'll give you an idea. Let's just take pricing. MSP pricing. So material level one and two um, generally engage in what we call market-based pricing. And that is, you know, I can't be the most expensive guy. Uh, I've talked to prospects about, you know, what prices they're getting. I've hired, you know, I've talked to my staff about prices they see saw at the places they used to work. And and so I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of base my pricing on market-based pricing. And that comes out of, you know, X per user per month or however you want to do it. Um, you go along with market-based pricing for a while and you do win deals, but you typically find out you're losing money. And the reason for that is, although it varies a little bit by market, about 30% or so of MSPs are still kind of average OML 2.6, 2.7. And those folks generally don't have a good understanding of their cost. They generally don't have a good understanding of their income statement. So they often don't know they're losing money. Unfortunately, Richard, they often, yeah. um, you know, they, they just go, well, last year I paid myself a hundred thousand this year. I'm going to end up paying myself 40,000, but Hey, 40,000 is better than zero. Yeah. And yeah, I had to write a check into the business. Yeah. I see it all the time. So you go along at market base. Yeah, yeah. So so 30% of the guys in the market don't know how to make money. And they often don't know they're not making money, unfortunately. And you go along at that price for a while, and then you go, Man, I don't know how these I don't know, I don't know how these other guys are making money. That's the false assumption. The truth is they're not. Uh, but I know I know my cost now. And I know for me to make the margin I need, I need to take my cost and times it by two to get 50% margin. And that's what I, I can't take another money losing contract. I don't know how I'm going to get this new price, 
but I can't take another money losing contract. And, and of course, the false assumption is the guys selling at the old price are making money. They're not. So you raise your price, usually by double, sometimes by triple. And you grimace and you go out and you make sales calls and you don't sell anything for six months because you can't figure out how to justify that price. But you get better and better. And you finally close a deal. And you go, what? what? Holy cow, people will pay this price. And you're more profitable. And you close another one and another one and another one. And so, yay, you're at OML3. And we call that cost-based pricing. And you're probably making 8% of the bottom line. And you're closing deals. And it's great. And then about two or three years later, you'll close a deal, Richard, where you'll go, you'll walk out and you'll go, you know, I have this weird feeling I could have charged that guy a lot more. (laughs) Because the value he saw, right, was much higher than the value I was talking about. And so the next time you go make a sales call, you, you, you go, hmm, why don't I focus on the value of this to him, on, the, uh, on, on helping the prospect understand the risk to the prospect's business goals if they don't take advantage of it. So if they keep doing IT in the crummy, you know, two men in a dog way that they do it today. And suddenly you get 50% higher than your OML3 price, which was two or three times higher than your OML2 price. Yeah. And that's called value-based pricing. And if you look at the top performers, that's what they do. So that's an example of low, medium, high OML. That's a great example. So I've got a a question around operation maturity Mm. levels and specifically this continuum report. So do continuum Mm. partners have a higher OML because they are continuum partners or do they become continuum (laughs) partners because they've got a higher OML? Does that, does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, it's a great question. The answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I don't know. Um, part, part of what happens is if there are 39 OML trades of being an MSP and, and I've out effectively outsourced 13 of them, I can spend more time on the remaining 26 and drive those higher faster, right? Um, so, so part of it is that, I believe. Um, whenever you're, it, it's a little bit like asking why do guys that belong to, to solution provider peer groups perform better? Because on average, they do. Mm. Um, and it's that same chicken and egg. Is it because what they're learning in the peer groups and the accountability and all that stuff is driving better performance and, and higher maturity? Um, or is it because the higher maturity guys go seek out peer groups? I think the answer is both. Um, I, I just I just think that if I may, if I may flatter you for a moment, um, you took a look at your MSP business and you went, man, there's a lot to this. Mm-hmm. And maybe the first thing I shouldn't do is go build my own, you know, room full of blinky lights and big monitor screens. Maybe what I should do is go sell some stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And if you look at, at, and and so you chose to go with master MSP. So if you look at most MSPs today, I, I think, you know, most of them will tell you they're struggling to grow they've spent a ton of time building something to sell and it's, yeah, it's getting pretty good. Okay. Well, let's go sell some. Well, you short circuited that whole thing and said, if they can do a good enough job, if the master MSP can do a good enough job for me, Mm -hmm. 
then maybe I'll just let them bear the risk of that whole operation and I'll go sell some stuff yeah. and see if I can get that off the ground. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. And I want to delve into that a little bit further if we can. So in your opinion, mm-hmm. why do Continuum Partners grow faster and have higher performance? What I'm, I guess what I'm saying, Paul, is how do they use Continuum specifically? For instance, how much of their managed service offering do they actually share with Continuum? Do you, do you have a, a reach for those sort of figures? Mm-hmm. Yes, we, um, we did a... a um, sort of tipping point or materiality calculation where we said, look, if the MSP is spending at least 80% of their managed service cost of goods sold on Continuum, then we're going to say they're materially using Continuum to operate their managed service business. If they're spending less than 80% of their uh, managed services cost of goods sold with Continuum, we're going to put them in the other bucket. That's a pretty stiff test, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that was the dividing line between the two populations, and it tended to fall pretty heavily. It tended to be a pretty clear delineation. In other words, not so many people are just using Continuum for this little bit or that little bit. There, there were clearly some MSPs that were giving their worst, you know, their few worst clients <laughs> to the to the master MSP. That was clearly going on. You could yeah. tell, uh, but that tended to be the minority. And the majority tended to either really just completely rely on the master MSP or or not rely. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, the uh, sorry, repeat the, the initial question. Yeah. So it, it was how much of their managed service offerings do they push to continuum? So I think mm. you've had, you know the most successful ones. It sounds as though mm. don't sort of mm-hmm. their toe in the water or don't just give across their their most horrible clients they yeah. they they go whole hog there yeah and you're correct and you also asked um why are they able to grow faster um yes. yeah i think it's a, i think it's a couple of things um one of them is um uh you may have noticed that they're spending more of their revenue on sales and marketing i did notice that yeah and why, so i think why a, is that yeah yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So I think I think the the relevance there is if I'm not using a master MSP, I've got this payroll to cover, and that's a scary thing. We all know uh, as business owners that not being able to cover payroll is pretty much the end of the world. And so business owners tend to be very, very conservative financially in order to make sure they can keep paying their people. Um, and so if I've got 50 people or 20 people in my company and two thirds of those are technical because I'm not using a master MSP, I'm going to husband my cash and be a little bit more conservative about what I'm going to spend on sales and marketing. Mm. When, when I could take, you know, two thirds of those two thirds people and push them over to the master MSP then I don't have as much payroll to cover. I feel from risk management standpoint, like I can spend a little bit more on sales and marketing. So I think that's one reason they're growing faster. Hmm. I think another reason they're growing faster, Richard, is that they can incrementally add customers without this herky jerky motion of, Oh, I got to hire another guy before I can bring that customer on. Yeah. It gives I think the third of reason scalability. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Instant, instant on. Right. Yeah. Um, for a new client. And, uh, and I think the third and last reason is if I'm, if I don't have 39 OML trades to pay attention to, 
then I have more time to spend on the remaining. Uh, if I don't have 13 OML trades, then I have more time to spend on the remaining 26, mm-hmm. of which about a third are sales and marketing trades. Yeah. So I just spend more time running the sales and marketing business in my company. So right, right there. I think all of those. Right yeah. there is a huge one. So most MSPs that I speak to who are trying to grow say, you know, uh, <laughs> all this sales and marketing stuff, this is good. I want to do this, but I just can't find the time. There's always fires that need putting out. So I think if I was to paraphrase what you said there, w- w- would you agree that you're saying that, uh, you know, those fires don't need putting out because Continuum, uh, the master MSP, have got those fires under control and that frees up the MSP's time to do the business growth activities? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And I'm not sure there's not a, a personality trait here as well. Mm. Uh, because, and I'll include myself in, 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 in this, um, I am, I am fascinated with the technology <laughs> you and I built both. in yeah. my career. Yeah. I, I built in my career, many service desks and knocks. And I love those things. I just love the challenge of putting them together and the operational piece. It's really fun. If, if as a, uh, and, and I'm, I'm fortunate in that I also have interest and um, a little bit of skill on the sales and marketing side. So the two together are good. The, um, the fact is, if I was strong technically and didn't really have a predilection for sales and marketing, I'd probably go build my own knock and help desk. And then I'd worry about how to sell it later. <laughs> right. Well, you know, if, if, if maybe if you're a little stronger on the sales and marketing side, less so on the technical side, maybe you go, Hey, I think I'll get a master MSP to, to shoulder the blinky lights part because I would just like to go out and sell it. I know I'm simplifying things, but I think there's personality traits that go into this. I do. Um, if I may, I want to underscore something about this analysis and I want to make sure this gets to your um, community. The results surprised us, um, and uh, I chose to publish them. Again, it was not part of what Continuum had asked us to do, and I chose to publish them, which, again, in our duration of service leadership, 15 years, whatever it is, we resolutely stayed away from producing data that favors a given vendor because as I mentioned earlier, for the most part, there isn't any opportunity there. Mm-hmm. This was really the first time we looked at master MSP and MSP relationship and the cogs and the profitability and stuff. Our goal is to serve the community. Our goal is to serve the owners because we believe they need a better shake in life. That's our fundamental belief. So we chose to publish this and we took some comments about it. I want to underscore this is a point-in-time study. It was that set of MSPs at that time. It was not a longitudinal study. Mm. So the in, starting uh, Q2 of 2019, we will alter, and you know this from your experience with us, we will alter our what we call normalized solution barter chart of accounts to allow our benchmarking clients to separate the managed service cogs that they are spending on their own people and their own facility and their own systems from whatever managed service cogs they happen to be spending on a master MSP. Mm. And we will track this longitudinally. We'll make it a standard 
measurement so that we can actually, on an ongoing basis, track the difference in performance between those who use a master MSP and those who don't. I think this is potentially a fundamental change in the business. Um, there, are, there are massive pressures on MSPs, as you know, today. Uh, the, the speed with which the M&A market is consolidating MSPs is blinding, and it's getting faster. The amount of money that's being dumped into the MSP world by private equity groups consolidating uh, master, uh, managed service providers is huge. In fact, HIG Capital in June invested in uh, Escastle, which is a leading MSP for hedge funds. They have offices in the UK. I mean, this is this is it's in fast forward and it's about to go into double fast forward. And so to, to the points that we've been talking about, Richard, as, a, as, a, as an independent managed service provider, I've got to get more efficient and I've got to focus on driving sales. I've got to focus on winning new customers Yeah, because R&D costs are going up, sales and marketing costs are going up. We all know what's happening in the, in the technology payroll world, right? So I got to get faster. I got to get better faster. And I think um, against the pressure of increasingly large players and increasingly well-funded players, and against the pressure of everybody gradually getting higher in OML, I think an increasing number of MSPs will seek ways to partner to reduce their risk and improve their flexibility. And I think Master MSP is one way to do that. I think this is the beginning of beginning, I think we're headed into a new chapter, if you will, in MSP evolution. Um, and I'll make I'll make another fearless prediction about master MSPs. Historically, master MSP has been well. You know, I'd like to get in the managed service business. I don't want to take all that risk. I'll use a master MSP until I'm up to a particular size, and then I'll take it in house. That's yeah. been sort of the standard rationale. I have a fearless prediction. My fearless prediction is OML4 guys are going to start using master MSPs. Guys that have this absolutely whipped are going to get out of the business of having their own knock and service desk. Not all of them. Not all of them. That's not what I mean to imply. But I think increasingly more will. Hmm. And the reason is once you get up to OML4, you start to realize that your real value is in the customer relationship and in how you orchestrate resources, not just in running a service desk or a knock. So if I can, have, if I can find a, a master MSP that's running at OML 373839, they're probably producing pretty good service and they're probably producing it at a pretty good price for me. And they could probably customize things such that if I'm OML4, I can orchestrate their activities so that they are differentiated in the marketplace and not just like some other guy who uses the same master MSP. Yeah. And so I think some OML, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a related example. I was talking to a client of ours uh, in the Southeast US. We met him years ago when he was about 7 million and today he's about 22 million. Um, and he's a private cloud guy. So he built his own data centers and uh, has been providing cloud services and wrapped his managed services around it and all that kind of stuff. Doing very well. Good growth, high profit, high OML, high service quality. 
And I was talking to him the other day and I said, you know, how's your, how are your data centers? How many do you have today? You know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know what? We're getting out of the data center business. He said, we're moving all of our clients as fast as we can out of our data centers, shutting them down and pushing them to Azure and AWS, which is a big change in strategy. And I said, why? And he said, we figured out, and he's, you know, OML 3.7, somewhere in there. He said, we figured out we had a lot more value than just running the mechanical stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that makes a huge amount of sense. And and again, going back to what I said earlier, you you are you are using metrics to prove what has been a gut feeling for me and for other people for for so much time. And there's more. You know, I don't want to overwhelm the listeners with uh, too many statistics here, but there's a correlation, isn't there, in the report with the number of agents deployed uh, by these MSPs uh, from Continuum, um, mm-hmm. the uh, the amount these MSPs spend with master MSPs like Continuum. There's a correlation there with the success. There's a lot to take in. So what, what I'll do, Paul, I'll share the links to the research itself in the show notes uh, but I think the bottom line here isn't that you know the data shows that continuum partners are growing faster they're doing better than than those who are not yep yep <laughs> that, <laughs> I know I know continuum doesn't want me to condition this in that data set which was a big data set at that time that's fact yeah that is a, that is a fact and it raised my eyebrows too Look, I think the bottom line here is go and have a look at the reports that service leadership have put together. I think Paul's done a great job. I think you've done a great job here of explaining it to people. I'm very conscious of your time. You're an extremely busy man. I can't let you go, Paul, though, just without asking you. You've already given us, you've gazed into your crystal ball and given us one prediction there, um, which I absolutely think you'll be right about. The future of managed services um, I saw some other research you did recently where you spoke to some more MSP owners like myself and, you know, who had, had perhaps got out of the MSP mm. business. How do people feel about the managed service model in general and master MSP model uh, like Continuum? What, what's the, you know, the, the sort of prognosis mm. for the industry as a whole? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, every year we do a... a um, point-in-time large-scale survey and ask the opinions of solution provider owners and executives, uh, MSPs in particular, what they think, you know, where they, how bullish are they about the business today over the next three to five years? Where do they think it's going? And then we segment the results between the lower profit, lower growth guys and the higher profit, higher growth guys. So we can see the difference in opinion about the future of the business between the lower and higher profit guys. Um, the, the higher OML teams versus the lower OML teams. So, um, at the end of 16, 2016, uh, I'm doing this off the top of my head, about 65% of MSP owners felt bullish about the next three to five years. About 17% felt, felt bearish and the rest were in between. About 65% bullish. At the end of 17, that had risen to about 73, 74%. And the proportion that were bearish had dropped to, I think, 6 or 7%. Um, and if you look at the splits, generally speaking, the higher profitability guys were more bullish. Uh, the median profitability guys <laughs> were the least bullish. They were still predominantly bullish. And then the low profit guys, bless their hearts, were also very bullish. So, mm. um, so generally uh, quite good. Um, and you know, their perspective was, uh, on master MSPs was at the end of 16, 
I recall correctly and working from memory, about 17% materially used a master MSP. Um, uh, the majority of those who did intended to continue and uh, a fair portion, I don't think it was a majority, but a fair portion uh, that didn't said they would investigate it. At the end of 17, all of those numbers had crept up about three or 4%. So those using it were now up to about uh, 20, 21% of, of MSPs uh, using a master MSP. The proportion who were uh, that intended to continue was a little bit higher and the proportion who weren't uh, but intended to look into it was also a little bit higher. So I think yeah. the whole concept is gradually gaining, gaining ground. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. You know, managed service industry, industry looks rosy. The, 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 the master MSP model seems to be the way that the most successful MSPs are going with this. And I'll give a big shout out actually to Continuum. They've put together this dedicated web page mm. where you can download the report and, you know, they've, they've got lots of um, useful bits and pieces um, to pull out of there for, for MSP owners. I, I would encourage anybody listening to this, you know, check out service leadership, check out Paul's work. Um, this is a man who knows what he's talking about and has got the, the figures to, to back those claims up as well. Continuum have done a great job with this, um, making this report available to people as well. So we'll, in the show notes, we will link to the, uh, to the report, to the white paper, and how you can find out more about the uh, Master MSP model and Continuum as well. Paul, I think your, your PA is going to kick my backside if I keep you for much longer today. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been fantastic to catch up with you. Mm. I know how busy you are, but Thank I really you. appreciate you just jumping on a call with me and going into some of those figures. Um, I was astonished when I no. uh, read the report, and uh, I'm pretty sure you had the, the same sort of reaction as well, didn't you? No, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I know uh, you're also very busy, and you clearly did your due diligence to get ready, so I really appreciate that. Yeah, uh, the opportunity to to talk to your community and to you. So I appreciate it very much. Appreciate Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Just before you go, if anybody yep. listening wants to reach out, wants to get in touch with you, where's the best place they can find you? Oh, Paul at service-leadership.com. Fantastic. I would encourage anybody to get in touch. Paul, enjoy the rest of your day across there in Dallas. I'm going to go enjoy the beautiful sunshine here in Newcastle upon time. We've got Dallas-like weather. I'm sure it's only going to last a day or two longer, so I'm going to go and enjoy it while I can. <laughs> Paul, Indeed, thank, enjoy. Thanks thank you again. for your time, mate. Appreciate it. Take care. Yeah. Take care. Thanks for listening to Tub Talk, the podcast for IT business owners. You can find the show notes and bonus content for this interview, along with dozens of other interviews with IT business leaders over at www.tubblog.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, then we'd really appreciate you rating and reviewing the show over at iTunes. Every review helps us reach new listeners and helps raise the bar for success in the IT industry. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak with you next episode. Have a great day.